Shall we read a poem from A Light in the Attic? Hello all and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. I'm Lauren. Russ, what the fuck is up with your tracksuit? I am so excited because I have a tracksuit that looks like everyone's grandmother's couch from the 80s. (laughs) Or something your grandfather would wear as like a sweater. It's like plaid, brown plaid. Brown plaid. Brown plaid all the way up and down. And that's the thing. When you watch like tv shows set in the 80s like stranger things they have everything with big hair and lots of neon the 80s was quite a lot of brown well that was the early 80s coming off the 70s oh well i have been getting stopped by strangers for this tracksuit like i was walking to work this morning and the biggest coolest guy way cooler than me also wearing a tracksuit Yelled at me from across the street and went, that's a tracksuit. What kind of tracksuit were they wearing? Blue. Yeah, that's kind of boring. Not plaid, brown, grandfather, grandmother, 80s, brown, brown, brown. (laughs) I don't think I'd ever wear that much brown. I love this. I'm getting another one. The same one? No, not the same one. Even This one's kind of a cream color, and across the chest it has a big brown and red stripe. I have no That's idea. That's definitely going to look early 80s. Oh my god, and I can't... If we ever have a live performance of this podcast, I am performing in this tracksuit. You know, I think people would come to see their tracksuit. I don't know if they'd come for our podcast. <laughs> I look like a McDonald's ashtray slapped in Adidas factory. I just came back from plums. Pl- now, should I take this literally? Oh, yes. Plums. What's happening with plums? Well, a friend of a friend has an orchard, and I went and picked, like, pounds and pounds and pounds of Italian plums, and now I have to do something with them. Well, I can help with that. I love plums. What would you do with, like, 30 pounds of plums? Consume. <laughs> Okay, but if I eat more than a few plums at a time, I get very sick. When I was a child, it never occurred to me like that prunes were plums and dried apricots were apricots. And that's a lot of calories and fiber to be inhaling. Mm-hmm. Like if you just I, eat I a bag of prunes. I have a problem with that much cellulose all at once. Well, I might have because I would do that often. Like mm-hmm. I would go to my grandmother's house and she would have a bag of dried apricots or a bag of prunes. And I would eat that entire thing. And then I was surprised when I just shat water. (laughs) I do not allow myself to buy dried fruit because I have no self-control. Particularly dried stone fruit because I have no self-control around stone fruit. None whatsoever. It's like keeping candy near me. It really is. That is pretty much my version of candy. And I eat myself sick every time. I took to... uh, there's this one type of dried apricot, one brand that will do it in these individual packages, like these single serving packages. And Oh, that's even though, great for the environment. I know. So even though I'm really opposed to extra packaging, it keeps me from making myself sick. Control secondary to climate change. No. Well, it's that or my stomach hurts. Well, the world my can die. I to... just don't want a stomach ache. <laughs> Well, then my advice is to 
make as many pies as possible, saving as much as possible for preserves. Mm, yeah, I'm not much of a canner. I'll probably uh, freeze a lot of it or dehydrate it. Mm. <laughs> thereby making prunes. I know, thereby having the kicking the problem down the road a little bit. <laughs> this sounds like a problem for tomorrow me to worry about. <laughs> I mean, I well, I'm already suffering. I ate plums while I was picking them because some of them were just too ripe. You would pick it and you'd be like, I can't put this in a bag. It'll squish. So then in my <laughs> mouth it went and like 10 or so went down like that. And now I don't feel quite so great. <laughs> oh, this sounds like the opposite of a problem. Mm, I mean, in my mouth, it was great. In my God. stomach, less so. Now I want plums. All I have is apples. Inferior inferior well what are we talking about okay i am doing what if last night while i lay thinking here some what ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what if song what if i'm dumb in school what if they've closed the swimming pool what if i get beaten up what if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow taller? What if my head starts getting smaller? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems swell and then the nighttime what ifs strike again. I see you've been reading my autobiography. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, Russ, you're familiar with anxiety. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's pretty yep. much how it works. Be yep. afraid of what? Be afraid! Yeah. I was a very anxious child, and I had these what-ifs all the time when I was going to sleep, and sometimes during the daytime, too. And the last episode, I talked about how I was indeed afraid of the lake outside my house swelling up suddenly in the night and drowning me. Last week, I read the poem Fear, in which essentially that happens. A person is so afraid of their room filling up with water and them drowning that they cry themselves a puddle that drowns them. Mm. And of course, I felt the moral of that is that, you know, don't let fear keep you from doing stuff. And this is acknowledging the fear that you have of a bunch of unlikely scenarios happening, but also it, it's supposed to poke fun at it as well. Like, oh, what if all these really improbable things like green hair grow out of your chest? Shell doesn't seem to have a ton of sympathy for fear. I think he lived a life without much consequences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you interpret fear as... Don't let fear make you miss out on the world or your dreams or taking action or anything. 
I read it as like an Oedipal tale where no matter what you do, you're never going to escape your fate. <laughs> well, I don't know that I that I would interpret it for myself that way, just that this is what I think Shell is saying. Interesting. A consequence-free life from Shell. It, given the amount of nudity that he writes about, it seems pretty accurate. I was going to do yeah. that bathtub poem today where it's like there's too many kids in the bath and that's the name of the poem and it's just this gaggle of naked children. I love but that. I it's, like, a, it's a fun poem. Well, I didn't have anything to... I, I was like, I'm going to end up on a list if I do this poem. All right. <laughs> Which of the Any fears of- in What If is something that you actually were afraid of as a kid? Oh, golly, that's a fun question. What would I have been afraid of as a child? Being dumb in school crying getting sick and oh getting sick and dying oh that was constant yeah well that's i I still have that fear i still for sure have that uh flunking that test nobody likes me that that's a fear i still have (laughs) what if they start a war what if my parents get divorced um i mean war is happening all the time so i think those are the only specific ones yeah then there's ones like, like what if my head starts getting smaller but that's like you know is this tooth loose or mm-hmm. you know will i ever gain weight <laughs> no turns out yes you just have to turn 40 <laughs> all i had to do was turn 26 <laughs> yeah no i mean i don't even have anything good to say about anxiety it's like i'm a hilariously anxious person and i mean other than weed helps <laughs> what would you say if you are able and feel like telling what would you say tends to keep you up at night most these days nothing nothing i am never kept up at night i i have absolutely no problem falling asleep ever throughout the day my mind is never not racing but Mm. when i for whatever reason when i get in bed i can go to sleep anywhere that's amazing i wish i had that magic power it is very Uh, strange for me i think it's i'm most afraid of either myself or people i love something terrible happening and them dying like for me it's usually getting sick and dying yeah uh for people i love it's usually accidents does there come a time when we stop caring what do you mean well like right now if i'm afraid of getting sick and dying right now like when i turn 80 will just be like ah fuck it <laughs> oh you mean about Take yourself me, lord yeah. my parents well they seem to get more resigned about it as they got older my dad was definitely afraid of dying as he was dying hmm i used to work in a hot well several hospitals and in, in the emergency room and so i've gotten to see a lot of people die and they go all sorts of ways you know like some of them are terrified but then some of them are just you, you might as well told them that like a tv show was canceled or something it's like oh well i've lived a good life and they're just so blasé about it and did you see anything that like about a type of person or personality or Ill, maybe even maybe it was just people who are really ill and suffering that old people tend to go more peacefully, mm-hmm. which would make sense. Right. Hmm. Probably about the time that I stop worrying about everything else is when I stop worrying about dying. You know that old person age where you just, you know, you back up without looking and you're rude to everyone in restaurants and 
you know, you use your phone flashlight to read the menu. That age, I think that's when you stop worrying about dying. <laughs> I mean, my my parents have been, kind of been in that age for a while. And, and as I said, my dad was definitely afraid of dying. I'm not sure about my mother. <laughs> well, let's talk about another specific anxiety. All right. <laughs> because I am reading Overdues. Oh, this is a good follow-up. What do I do? What do I do? This library book is 42 years overdue. I admit that it's mine, but I can't pay the fine. Should I turn it in or hide it again? What do I do? What do I do? And your illustration is an old man, frizzy hair, tightly clinging to a book and looking just petrified. I have a library book out now that will never be returned. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I, I checked it out around about the beginning of March 2020 uh-huh. from yeah. the Dallas Public Library. And then, shortly thereafter, a thing occurred. And the library closed everything. It's book return. It's, you know, campuses, all like that. And I just had the book. And in the interim there, I moved to a different country. And so that book, I guess it's just mine forever. I have heard, but can't confirm, that you can put a library book in the return of another library and they will eventually get it back to that library. I don't know that it works at all, and I don't (laughs) think it works across country lines. With that in mind, I thought it would be interesting to look up specific stories about overdue books. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were three interesting ones that I gleaned from various sources, mostly mental floss. The Guinness World Record holder for the highest library book fine ever paid is Emily Canelo Sims. And she wasn't the one who checked the book out. In 2002, she found a copy of Days and Deeds in her mother's house. Uh, It's a book of children's poems that was due back April 15th, 1955. So... 47 years earlier. She returned the book to the Kiwanee, Illinois Public Library and included a check for $345, which I think at that point becomes more of a donation, but who's to argue? Right. And one book was returned so late the library it was checked out from didn't exist anymore. A uh, copy of Master of Men by E. Phillips Oppenheim was taken out from England's Leicester County Library for 79 years. It was found in a house in the area, but that library had closed and it became property of the council. And my favorite one is a library book that outlasted a country. (laughs) A copy of Charles Darwin's Insectivorous Plants finally made its way back to a Sydney library after the entirety of the 20th century had passed. It was borrowed in 1889 and returned in 2011. Australia wasn't a country when the book was checked out. (laughs) Australia becoming a country in 1901. That's amazing. Well... Now they have a neat historical book that otherwise probably would have gotten destroyed somewhere along the way. Do you have any stories of checking out books when you were a wee? Oh, yeah. So, actually, one book really changed my view of myself. 
I think it was a second grade or maybe third grade. I checked. I got a you have an overdue library book and you either have to pay or return it. And I was incensed. I had no memory of ever checking this book out. And how dare someone tell me I'd done something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I was such a goody two shoes that I was like, there's no way I would check out a book and forget about it. How dare you accuse me of such a thing? And eventually my dad just paid for the book because I had no idea where it was. And I was like, I never even checked it out. There's no way I checked it out. I have no idea what this book is. And then one day later on, (laughs) like months later, I found the book and I still had no recollection of it whatsoever. But there it was, this proof that I had done this terrible thing. This terrible thing. (laughs) Second only to murder. Well, I, I thought so highly of my integrity that this was such a blow to my sense of self. <laughs> and uh, second grade, so you were what, like eight? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And mm, I remember it still. I don't remember what book it was. Uh, probably it's something to do with birds because I was pretty obsessed with birds at that time. Uh, I and I then sheepishly returned the library book even after we had paid for it. Oh, how honest of you. I know. I thought you just had a new book. Uh, yeah, no. I was that sort of child. I had a very specific kind of book that I think I checked out probably between eight and ten times when I was a child from my local public library. I would clean out... (laughs) This is me at the age of between ten and twelve, probably. I would clean out their stock of demonology books. (laughs) So, like, the Princes of Hell, Malleus Malficarum, anything they had that talked about fallen angels and Satan and demons, I loved. And I was raised in the church, and so probably because of this, I thought, oh, this is the most forbidden knowledge possible, not realizing that it's, you know, all fairy tales. But I I think the limit that one could check out was, like, 15 books or something like that at the time. I piled the cart high with demonology books and just sit at home enraptured at these illustrations of, oh, that's what Beelzebub looks like and all <laughs> such like as that. And <laughs> that's adorable. Then at one point, I remember I started checking them out and I got them home and I opened it up and someone had gone through and put tracks in all of them. <gasps> religious tracks. Oh. And so it was like, you you won't find true knowledge here. Why don't you open your Bible? And then there's little me thinking, here I am, a good church-going Christian boy. I have another Christian calling me out on reading forbidden knowledge? How dare they? Not unlike Lauren. <laughs> and probably that wasn't my the beginning of my slide into active hostility towards all things religious, but it definitely helped. It's funny how I, my my evolution from being this very goody two-shoes, always following the rules, never wanting to upset anybody into the person I am today. Actively pissing off neo-Nazis. Yeah, well. Fuck you, Germany. Oh, shit, that's illegal. God damn it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if, the funny thing is, like, if I had continued being the same person I am today, the fact that it was it was illegal would have been very upsetting to me that I had broken this rule. Instead, these days, I'm just, like, dumbfounded that the rule exists. All rules are arbitrary! Yeah. <laughs> well, do you have any uplifting thoughts? Russ, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Oh, good. I get to do uplifting thoughts. And now I have to come up with something other than the tracksuit to talk about? <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess you have to do double duty today. I have learned a trick when you're making spaghetti sauce. Oh? Previously, I would add cut up carrots into it for sweetness. I learned that if you grate the carrots into your spaghetti sauce, <gasps> it comes out tasting like cake icing. What? <laughs> so sweet. I'm exaggerating, and of course it's it would be, you know, tomato flavored cake icing, but still tastes That's... good. Okay. So remember the, the... everybody, grated carrots in your spaghetti sauce. Uh...